Welcome to Canton Bound, sort of, again. Without Colin here, things just really go off the rails really, really quickly. As always, I am Austin. Colin is still away. I, I, this must be some extravagant honeymoon here that this, this kid is still gone. Um, as usual, when Colin is away, instead of talking NFL on Canton Bound, I am choosing to talk more college football because he's not here to stop me. So that that is what I did this week, guys. I sat down with two C2C veterans who do not work with us at C2C, so outside of the C2C crew, to talk strategy. Everything from startups to roster construction to supplemental drafting um, and everything in between. Um, a really, really good conversation with Nelly at Nelly Ticks on Twitter uh, from the Debbie Marketplace and with uh, Dynasty Coach A uh, at Dynasty Coach A on Twitter. Um, and um, yeah, it, it, I think it's a very fruitful conversation. We all have slightly different approaches to things. So you get to hear um, kind of pros and cons of all the different things. Um, so that's what I'm going to play for you here in just a minute. Before we kick that discussion off, though, I do just want to go over a little bit of housekeeping here with you guys. Again, check out campus2canton.com. I know we say it every week, but that is the site that we are affiliated with. Um, even if you do not want to uh, uh, get a membership over there, go ahead, check out some of the articles and things. Obviously, the podcast feed here, the YouTube page. Subscribe, give us a like, give us a review. All of those things help us as we continue to push this format and selfishly ourselves forward. The Debbie Guide released this month. If you don't have your copy yet, go ahead and check that out over at campuscanton.com. Uh, $20 gets you that guide. Some memberships get it for free along with their membership. So if you are one of those people uh, and you haven't downloaded it yet, check that inbox, check that spam. There should be a link in there to take you to it. Um, CFF guide. Just over a month until our CFF guide comes out, which is crazy to think about. But those guys are just working away. I believe they have almost all of the profiles done, and then they'll be doing some player breakdowns uh, and things like that. Again, that'll be $20 over at Campus DeCant. We'll start pre-orders for that in about a week. Uh, truthfully, I have to wait for Colin to get back to do that because I don't know how. Um, there are there are a few things that Colin can do that I cannot, and alas, that is one of them. I hate to admit it because he'll listen to this. Um, but yeah, you'll go ahead. You can go ahead and, and start pre-ordering that soon as well. We need that for all of your uh, CFF drafts as the summer continues on. Uh, and lastly, guys, if you are an NIL member with us over at Campus to Canton, we are doing our one-hour one-on-one meetings with you guys. We have a sign-up sheet in the Discord, so go ahead, check that out in there. It is pinned in the NIL tier chat. Uh, we've done quite a few of them already. Great conversations. Just really nice to meet you guys, even if you don't want to discuss your rosters. If you want to discuss um, you know, anything else, you want to just joke around with us for an hour, uh, pick our brains for 20 minutes, you can certainly do that. We're happy to get that scheduled. Uh, I know we still have two or three people we haven't reached out to yet after this week. Um, that, that have a, that have uh, signed up, we will be getting to you. So don't think we're ignoring you. Uh, we can only schedule so many at once. Without further ado here, though, guys, uh, here is my interview with Nelly and with John as we discuss strategy in campus to Canton leagues. All right, as promised, two guests here with me tonight to talk campus to Canton 
strategy. We went outside the C2C family today. We've got Nelly at a Nelly ticks. It took me about a thousand tries, but I finally can just say that so easily. It rolls right off the tongue. You know him from the Debbie Marketplace and because he is probably a thorn in your side on Twitter. I've also got John here with me tonight at Dynasty Coach A, hosts Dynasty, the Monocle Dynasty podcast, the Debbie Devotional podcast, Full Tilt Debbie pod, writer for DLF. That's new since I talked to you last, so congratulations on that. Uh, mm -hmm. And then you can check out his Patreon as well. The link is uh, attached to his uh, uh, Twitter uh, page there. Gentlemen, thank you for agreeing to come on here. Uh, an unmoderated discussion on the 100% correct way to play C2C, and there's no other way. So I'm glad that we will have this figured out by the end of tonight. Right, John? Absolutely. And I really do appreciate Nelly coming on and taking over the call and roll. Um, you know, I'm going to go ahead and, and, you know, take on the esteemed guest, uh, of course. But uh, no, uh, yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. You know, we uh, Nelly and I dove into it a little bit on Twitter. Not 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 too much, but uh, I, I think he probably continued the conversation. I kind of bowed out at, at some point, but I muted you know, it. I'm are, not going to lie. I'm you. Yeah. I was like, I don't have time for this. <laughs> People are, you know, really interested and in, in have their own, you know, opinions and rightfully so about how, you know, C2C leagues, how to see C2C startups should go, how supplemental drafts should go and all that. And, you know, we're here to tell them why they're wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a really new format. I feel like it's natural that we don't have well thought out and established strategic, you know, implementable approaches to these things i mean best ball i think is kind of congruently growing with c2c or um, yeah like kind of came around at the same time like underdog stuff and they're still figuring out and every year i feel like it's you know we're stacking week 17 we've got you know uh, you know all these different things so i feel like it's time for us to start having some of these these bigger discussions so i mean uh, nelly i, I think i, I want to start this with startups because that seems like a logical place and I, I, I think just the, the place to start there is the start of a startup. We're talking Debbie options there. Just walk me through kind of your thought process when you're going into a startup and kind of how you're thinking about uh, what needs to go on, especially early. Yeah. Uh, I mean, with a startup, it, it's important to keep in mind, like usually C2C rosters are what, like 45 players, 45 slots. That's generally the standard. So you have so much to work with there. So I, I, I truly draft best Debbie player available on my board. Like I literally go through my rankings. I draft the best player available for my first 15 rounds. I fill out a third of my roster with as good of Debbie potentials as I, as I possibly think I can find. Um, Cause that's harder to find in later rounds than, than CFF production is. So you do the full 15. I know that was, uh, you know, Shaq is kind of the the godfather of C2C. Uh, and he he proposed about 15 rounds when he he kind of invented this whole thing. So you, you do about a 30-year roster. You try to go that far. Yeah. Um, and, and you kind of pick up some, some CFF production from good Debbie guys. I mean, that's kind of how it happened. So you're not completely ignoring it. But uh, I feel like in the past, and there will be, uh, it, it's not a hard and true rule that I follow, uh, religiously like if, if a if a guy like i don't know lou nichols or rasheen ali last year who were going in like the fifth round of startups if they are round in round 12 like i'm gonna break my rule because that's good value even though it didn't work out for those two names but we'll ignore that um but um 
Yeah, especially kind of with the new college football landscape, it's I think the most value you can get from CFF guys is guys who you know will give you multiple years of production, and that's kind of become even less predictable because these good G5 guys then end up transferring up if they do well. So it's like you can't even get that point of value that you would originally, or at least I would originally have been hunting for with, with my early CFF picks. John, how do you feel about Debbie and you know how, how far you're going into it, kind of focusing on that side of things? I mean, honestly, I don't know that I ever truly stop trying to focus on Debbie. I mean, obviously there has to be some point where you're like, all right, well, I have to transition and at least start focusing on CFF a little bit. But I mean, I'm thinking back to a, you know, a draft that I did, uh, what, two, two years ago, I guess, uh, last year. I don't know. Time, the timeline's not working out, but, uh, I, but I drafted uh, Jatavian Sanders like really late, you know, maybe in like the 25th round or something like that. I drafted, uh, Audric Estime in like the 40th round, um, or like the 35th round, whatever it was, but it was really late. Now, I mean, JT Sanders is considered a pretty much a stud at this point. Audric Estime might not quite be there, although I tend to be much higher on him than than a lot of others. I think that he might actually have like Debbie upside at this point, especially with uh, what was it? Uh, was it Tyree or, or Diggs that left? Diggs uh, left, and I mean Tyree's a receiver now, so you know. They, yeah, yeah. So I mean, he's kind of the the like the only show left in town. Um, it, he very well could do something if they actually have an offense this year, which I think we're kind of expecting them to be better. Uh, so I'm just hoping that, you know, that can be a thing. But the point of the story is that like, I always kind of saw a little bit of, of Debbie upside with like those kind of players because Audrey Gestime was a 225 stud rocked up running back. Like obviously all you have to do is kind of get on the field and do something to possibly be a Debbie player. Um, but I, I'm kind of with Nelly as far as like around, around 15, um, you know, even sometimes like 10, depending on the player around uh, 10, I might start like leaning like, OK, I really want to go get this, uh, you know, the, the C, C, or, uh, CFF player like that kind of thing, because he's going to be a true stud. You you made a really interesting distinction there that I think we probably have to address at some point. And I've we've kind of talked about it on our pod, but you know, it, it's hit or miss about you never really stop looking for Debbie potential. I think that that's a good point, you know. I think there are some of these guys that you say, if I squint and things go really well, I can see Debbie potential guys like uh, over the past, like Jordan Travis is a guy like that, or Jaron Hall or some of the, you know, mixed results in terms of when they finally get their hand in hooker guys that we think you're know, at least we originally said, this is probably CFF only, but maybe there's upside there. So yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. You're never, I mean, you're, you're always kind of hoping that that something happens there. That's Probably more G five or uh, P five focused though. Like G five, you you never really try to make that assumption, right? Not really. I mean, I honestly, I learned my lesson because I was uh, Nelly talked about Lou Nichols, and man, I fell in love with Lou Nichols. Now, to, in my defense, uh, it was kind of when I first started my C to C model or, or you know Debbie model, and um, I didn't quite have the discounts that i you know how i like discount g5 versus p5 and all that kind of stuff set up you know quite right just yet but uh in fact uh dirty mike uh you know mike uh valerie mm -hmm. uh, he he sent me something at one point and was like hey man just so you know like you've been uh hyping up lou nichols a lot but i just wanted to show you you know how often they actually get drafted before round four and in, in nfl drafts and i was like oh okay yeah this makes sense i'm i'm probably over hyping him so uh, you know, I've learned my lesson with players like that. So I don't get like overly hyped about them. But then again, 
you know, like a player like Grayson McCall. Like, I actually think that there is uh, is Debbie potential there. Now, I mean, he's a senior now, and, you know, like it, it, each year it's getting less and less. But, uh, uh, you know, I think there is something there. I mean, the guy is a stud in G5, but, you know, he is a stud. So I really like that player. And so, you know, I'll tend to lean towards drafting him earlier than a lot of other people might just because I think that he actually could be a you know, Debbie viable. So I'm assuming your rankings when you're looking at them, I'll come to you first, John. I think Nelly, I, I want to hear your answer on this too. If you're just ranking a hundred quarterbacks and we said before the show, John, you were, you were just, you know, finishing up your QB. So I think this is a good, uh, does, does the flow of your rankings kind of go, you know, Debbie guys, CFF guys with Debbie upside, CFF guys with no Debbie upside. And then the remnants, if there are any, I mean, is that, is that kind of how it flows? If you, if you uh, go through them. For the most part, but I, I think that I'm probably going to actually have a little bit more of like the CFF studs mixed in there, um, even above some of the guys that could have Debbie upside and stuff like that, but probably don't, um, you know, like if you think of like a Spencer Rattler or some somebody like that, like could possibly be a Debbie guy still, even though, I mean, once again, it's just like each year that goes on, you know, we it's less and less likely. But I mean, there's still some hope. Like, I guess he looked pretty good, you know, what the last like five games of the season, something to that effect. Um, but there's obviously been a lot of bad stuff. But then you have a guy like, uh, like a KJ Jefferson or, or you know, somebody like that, uh, which I mean, actually might still have some Debbie up. So that might not be a good one. Um, but like a Bo Nix, you know, like a Bo Nix. I don't, I don't think that he has Debbie upside. I know a lot of people do, but I really don't. And, uh, and so I, I'm, I'm perfectly fine drafting him ahead of a guy like Spencer Rattler, even though I don't think that he has that Debbie upside just because he's probably going to be a CFF stud. How do you feel Nelly? Uh, real quick, Bo Nick slander. I, I don't appreciate that. I think oh, he is better than Spence. We don't need to get into that. This is a player-specific discussion, but better Debbie <laughs> upside than Spencer Rattler. Um, no, I mean, I am pretty black and white with how I distinguish players. I think at a certain point, like once I kind of hit my Debbie top 100, top 150, every single player I view solely from a CFF lens. I have like a list of like Debbie dart throws that probably aren't on my list, not really quarterback based. I'm drafting purely for CFF production right now. If I don't think the player um, has like, is like within the Debbie window in the Debbie picture as a whole. How, how much of that is then uh freshman based versus, you know, the kind of the unknown versus the, the known and what we know isn't amazing. I mean, how, how are you juggling kind of those two concepts now? Yeah, well, that's where it kind of gets interesting with that last top last point that I kind of made is mm -hmm. I'm not going to predict a single freshman to be CFF relevant right away. Right. Like um, I think that's, that's a, a difficult task. There's so many, so many players with experience in the portal now that no team is planning on starting a, a true freshman right away. Um, so then it's like uh, the only the only freshman quarterbacks I consider are the freshman quarterbacks that I consider in the Debbie window right now. Right. So with quarterbacks, that's literally just five star recruits and like four stars going to blue blood programs where they have uh, a little bit more attention on them. Um, because ultimately, if I don't have a Debbie player uh, like if. if if I don't have a Debbie realistic player, a player with, within the Debbie window is kind of what I'm considering it. I don't want to wait on them to do something. I don't want to take a, a zero on my bench for a year 
um, to wait on someone to maybe end up in the Debbie picture or maybe be a CFF producer. Feels like you're talking about an Avery Johnson kind of guy there. Is that kind of the player that you, in a startup, you know, value? He could fall and that would be fine. But that that's the kind of player that maybe you're avoiding a value because with Will Howard there, we don't know how long he's going to sit. And, you know, the, the odds of him being a first-round draft pick, probably not amazing. Yeah, 100%. That That's a great example. Like, I think it's it's still a projection to even get him to become a starter at this point. Like we, and once that happens, he has to become a good starter, right? And then he becomes CFF relevant. There's so many other options that you can take right away that are already offering pretty much what you're trying to project. How do you feel about freshmen and kind of how, how you approach drafting them, especially, especially early. I mean, I, I think that's, that's an interesting discussion, John. Uh, first of all, just to clear it up, I I do actually have Bo Nix ahead of Spencer Rattler in my Debbie ranking. So I do. <laughs> I I just I don't know. Like I couldn't find like a great example, and so I was thinking that I for whatever reason I had him behind him, but I was looking. I don't. I definitely don't. But um, I still don't love him. I mean, he's he's being way overhyped. Uh, but getting back to the freshman, I, I, honestly, like I. I'm not, I don't really get into recruiting all that much. Like I don't, that's not my strong point. Uh, my co-host on the Debbie devotional, you know, is a, does a much better job. Aaron Wilcox at Aaron Wilcox, 86. You want to talk about recruits and stuff. Talk to these guys, talk to Aaron. Uh, don't talk to me. I do a little bit of work. I, I have the supple or the, the uh, freshman and supplemental guide and uh, you know, draft guide. And you know, I, I pay attention to that quite a bit. And, you know, obviously like, looking at, at recruit store uh, recruit scores and stars and all that kind of good stuff. But I'll tell you what I, in my short amount of time doing C to C drafts or C to C leagues, I've figured out that a lot of freshmen do not hit. <laughs> and I'm sure everyone else has figured that out as well. And that's kind of why I don't care as much about the recruits because while you might say, Hey, I'm gaining an advantage by like diving in and, and looking at a thousand different players and all this other stuff. And you absolutely are. I'm like, you know what? I might just avoid those players and go draft a Dorian Singer or somebody like that that you know has already hit uh, on the NFL side, uh, but is still available in these supplemental drafts, like that kind of thing. So I, and obviously in in um, in a startup, you know, it's, it's I kind of look at it the same way. Like I look at these freshmen as like maybe a twenty percent hit rate hit rate and you know if, if that's the case and i see somebody else as a 40 percent hit rate because he's already hit as a freshman then i'm gonna go ahead and just take that 40 percent hit rate unless there's a reason you know like but it's also tough because you know you might say oh unless he's an ohio state wide receiver okay well that's great but how many ohio state wide receivers have sat there on the bench doing absolutely nothing like a julian fleming or you know like one of those kind of guys uh, that never even sees the field and, and they either sit there for years or they transfer out. And then, you know, we have to hope that they do something somewhere else. And so I think it's kind of tough. Like you almost have to focus on getting the best, like one or two guys from those top tier schools and then avoid the other guys. And that's really tough. Like, how do you even know who it's going to be? I mean, obviously you can hope and assume it's going to be Carnell Tate and, and uh, Brandon Ennis, but I mean, you know, maybe it's not, <laughs> you know, maybe it's what's the other group, Noah Rogers or, mm -hmm. you know, somebody else, like it could easily be somebody else. And then now you just invested a top seven pick in this guy that's going to sit on the bench for the next three years. <laughs> like, how does that feel? I think the C2C crew, I don't want to put all of us under this statement, but I know at least myself, Chris Moxley calling. Cause I tell him to, um, 
we've kind of been starting to workshop this mystery box with anybody's familiar with the, you know, the family guy skit where, you know, they, they offer him the boat and he said, you could take the boat or you could take the mystery box. And he says, Oh, the mystery box could be a boat in that situation. I think, you know, you take the boat, but if you don't, if you, if, if you don't like the other prize, if you've seen the other prize and you know, the other prize isn't very good, or you don't think they're very good. I'm really starting to come around to the fact that just the mystery box provides more upside because of the unknown. And I just want to hear what you guys think about that. And I think about that as a guy, like I, I will use Grace McCall as an example. I think we know by now that the Grace McCall is not like a legitimate NFL draft pick because I think he would have left school by now. Uh, if, yeah. if that were the case, I, I think I, I feel pretty good about that. I would rather take the unknown of a guy like Aiden Childs or like Lenora Sellers that has some upside, a lot of unknown, but you know, the mystery box could be better than whatever, you know, the other prize is. What, what do you think about that, Nelly? Yeah, no, I mean, that's, I, I wouldn't consider myself freshman averse as a whole because of exactly what you said. It, you, you have this unknown that provides upside, right? If, if instead of the analogy that you use, um, with a boat or a potential boat, you have a, uh, I don't know, like a rowboat compared to a potential yacht, right? So it, maybe the surprise is literally nothing, but maybe the surprise is much better than what you know, yeah, right? So there is anyway. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So um, I, I think there's value there. Like I, I draft and I, I rank pretty highly the, the top freshman, right? Like I, I love drafting Cedric Baxter and Justice Haynes and the top quarterbacks this year and the top five to 10 wide receivers. Um, but I think it's actually, I think you can make it an, an analogy to, to like regular dynasty uh, here as well, where these freshmen are essentially rookies coming in where you have this upside Right. But it's it's also an unknown. So you have to kind of value at what point is is the upside uh, realistic and worth it. Right. Like some of these freshmen, you mentioned you mentioned some of those those quarterbacks, uh, Sellers, Childs, uh, Levitt, Avery Johnson. Like from my perspective, if we're talking hit rates, that's like it's like betting on like a third or a fourth round rookie pick at that point where the likelihood of it hitting is, is very low now. Um, and when you're talking about the known commodity here, uh, the equivalent known commodity here uh, being like a current quarterback, you said Grayson McCall, let's use Grayson McCall. I would agree that he has less NFL potential than those guys, but he's also providing you a, a utility right now in the sense that he's providing you that CFF point those CFF points instantly, right? You're not taking a zero on the bench for this potential upside. Um, you're you're earning points right now, and there is still maybe a little bit of potential upside there. Uh, I think the names themselves could get workshopped a little bit in terms of, uh, like, uh, I don't know. I I know we were using Riley Leonard. Grayson yeah. McCall might be a better analogy here, but um, I think that's kind of the, the macro strategy of um, – these rookies or these freshmen, sorry, are not providing you any current value, even if they are providing like a little bit of, of upside increase. It's a tough analogy too, because if a rookie pick stinks, that's it. Like if there's no NFL potential, like that's the end of the road for a lot of these guys, we at least can hope that maybe they're okay in college, you know, like, you know, maybe they never become an NFL guy, but if, you know, maybe, 
Aiden Childs throws for 3,000 yards his junior and senior years or something and, you know, 28 touchdowns or something like that. So how, how do you kind of juggle that where at least there's maybe a safety net there, John, or, or do you not really consider that safety net, especially with, you know, if, if it's a more expensive option, maybe you, you don't uh, factor it in so much. Well, yeah, it's, it's kind of the, the opposite, like you were, you're comparing like an Aiden Childs to like Grayson McCall. Like I have no problems taking Aiden Childs over uh, something like that. Like you said, there's upside there, but you're not taking Aiden Childs and, you know, in the top few rounds of a startup or anything like that, just like you're not going to take Grayson McCall. Um, so I have no issues with that. I'm more talking about like the, the top tier freshman that, you know, like if I don't see, if I don't see playing time almost immediately, I kind of want to avoid those freshmen. And, you know, like, and, and obviously I know that that can come back to bite me in the butt because obviously like, you know, you can have somebody like a, uh, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. Or, or somebody like that, that's going to come, you know, come in year two and just be a complete stud. Uh, so I'm not saying that you shouldn't ever draft these guys, but, you know, I'm trying to think of like for the QBs, um, even we keep like using a, QB. I feel like QBs are the absolutely worst example to use yeah, for all of this, and we continue yeah. to do it. There's only it's, one on the yeah, field at a time, like they're yeah, th they're that's very true. Job. You know, we should probably go with like the wide receivers or the running backs. Um, I'm just trying to think of a good example, but basically, like some of the top tier wide receivers that you know you, you don't think they're going to see the field in year one. Uh, you know, I, I might be a little averse to taking them because I know they're going to go so early. And so I'll go ahead and take a, a proven player at that point. But then once we get into like the later rounds, um, I'm trying to think, uh, what's the guy from Tennessee? Uh, is it Nathan Leacock? Is that his name? Uh, that, freshman, yeah. 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 Like, I really like him. Like, I like his opportunity and stuff like that. And so, you know, like, I don't know exactly where he's going to go in a startup right now. Uh, you might have a better idea of, of you know, where he's going uh, ADP-wise and stuff like that. But I'd be perfectly willing to take somebody like that that has a little bit, has some upside but you know isn't getting drafted in those like really early on rounds like that kind of thing no it's kind of same question to you just you know in terms of that safety net that maybe comes with future points i mean how how much are you factoring that in in terms of you know a, a little wiggle room for you uh i would say almost none if Aiden okay. Childs's utility is that he's going to throw for three thousand yards his junior year he'll be cut off my roster by then Right. Like I don't want to hold the zeros for future CFF production. And I kind of I don't like taking zeros if it's not a known Debbie Kamari. I was kind of talking about that earlier. But I think despite the fact that you have deep rosters, the fact that everyone kind of segments a, a part of their roster for this Debbie potential. A lot of guys take a lot of zeros on 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 freshmen. There is true um, opportunity to gain um competitive advantages on your on your league mates by just sheer numbers of rostering more players that are going to produce right away and potentially be useful for for cff like i for, for me like i i like if you're taking 25 zeros on your roster first year or something like that even even 20 even i mean even 10 is a lot right that's what um, that's 20 percent of your roster um, that's a lot of sacrifice when I could have 10 guys who could potentially be, um, like could potentially have a smash matchup in the CFF any, any given week that I want to use. And I mean, I, I truly think that it, it is so easy to compete on the, on the college side of C2Cs because of that right now. And I think if you want to talk about kind of the, 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 purpose or the spirit of a c2c league like ultimately your goal is to make money right so 
or at least for me, some people do for fun, which is fantastic. But for me, I want to turn a profit, right? And if if I can create competitive advantages to compete on the college side year in and year out and sacrifice a little bit in terms of my Devi pipeline to my NFL side, of which I think is probably a little bit overstated, I, I'll do that any day of the week. So I, I think this is a good point for me to ask this question then. You guys both uh, look to compete year one. I mean, that that's generally your, your approach both sides. If you can, or are you guys, do you guys tend to push chips one way or the other? I, I've seen that becoming a, a more and more popular strategy. I, I'm really not a fan of it, you know, trading, trading my first six or 10 picks or whatever on the college side and, and bulking up the NFL side or vice versa. How do you guys feel about that? John, you're shaking your head. <laughs> yeah. I, if anything, I'm perfectly fine doing like productive struggle on the NFL side. Uh, because you're going to be be able to refill that from the the campus side. You can't refill the campus side except for with your supplemental draft, you know, picks or making trades. You know, whether you're trading away your NFL players or whatever. You know, I think the best way to do campus again, and hopefully this isn't one of your questions, but you know, and, and I'm once again, it's my opinion, but I, I think the best way to do it is to make a studly campus squad so that you're constantly feeding that NFL squad. And so, you know, I'm fine doing the productive struggle year one of the NFL side. Um, you know, maybe not taking risks or anything like that, but just, uh, you know, going younger, like that kind of thing. Cause I know that I can build a, a studly squad of uh, young players after that year one. Cause I know I'm going to go in hard on, you know, like players that are actually producing on the campus side right now that are, have, you know, Debbie viable, uh, have that, that Debbie, uh, you know, the Debbie chances. And, you know, then I'm going to bring those onto the NFL squad the next year. And then now all of a sudden you have, this uh, behemoth, you know, NFL behemoth or whatever you want to call it. There is inherently more strategy to doing a productive struggle that way in C2C than in a regular dynasty league, uh, just by the nature of the fact that a pick is not a pick, a pick is a player, right? So just just to toss that out there so we aren't giving, you know, the impression that this is really easy to do and it's just that's slammed. That's very down. true. It, I mean, and that's, I don't think that gets talked about enough is, you know, like it, it's not just this simple thing like, oh, well, every year you get your rookie picks. Like it's it's not that simple. So I shouldn't make it sound like it is. Um, I, I guess I, I believe that I can find the talent and, and make it work. And, uh, you know, you can always find, I feel like the, the easiest thing, the easiest way to look at it is you can always find CFF, CFF players. You cannot always find Debbie players or, you know, like, or, or players that are going to go to the NFL. And just to clarify real quick for listeners, I, I, when I said that, I mean, the, uh, if I have the one-on-one and Bijan gets run over by a garbage truck tomorrow, I can take Anthony Richardson or Jameer Gibbs or Bryce Young or, or JSN or whoever else. If I have Bijan Robinson and Bijan Robinson gets hit by a garbage truck tomorrow, I'm in trouble. I don't have insurance there. So it, it's definitely something to consider. Nelly, I mean, are, are you kind of doing the – how comfortable are you doing, like, the productive struggle versus – like, how, how is your kind of general approach to setting up the two rosters as you go into a, a startup? Um, I think I am probably on the polar opposite of John. Um, I, I think he made a good point there at the end. You can always find CFF guys. You can't always find Debbie guys. I, I think that's a, that's a reason for why you should – you shouldn't trust your, your Devi pipeline to, to feed your, your NFL side. Like, I think it, I think we as a community kind of overvalue our, our prediction ability to the NFL, right? Like, I mean, this past year, how many guys did we see that were, were Devi darlings for so long that, that, that fell off, right? Like Zach Evans, Tank Bigsby, um, 
multiple Keishan Boutte, like it, it happens, right? It happens every single year. This wasn't an anomaly. So I think you could get into a pretty dangerous situation where you you do this productive struggle to supplement. You you basically you take an, an L early on your NFL side uh, and you build up on all this Debbie talent. And all of a sudden you have no Debbie talent going to your NFL side and, and your college side is screwed too. Cause you've put a, a, a focus there on, on Debbie talent. So I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but it, you, you run that risk. So, I mean, I, I personally have found it pretty easy to compete right away on both sides. Cause you have a number of teams on both sides that are doing the, the one side tank to supplement the other side. And I think it hurts one side more than it helps the other side. Um, so, like, I draft my NFL team as if I'm drafting an NFL startup, um, like a regular dynasty startup. If I focus on the quarterbacks, everything else is easier to supplement. And on, on the college side, I mean, I do the same thing where I load up on on CFF guys on the back end so that I can compete right away. Like, I think that making the playoffs on both sides, so just being a top 50% team on both sides is is a very realistic outcome and I, I believe this past year I think I'm in eight or nine leagues I, I mean I made the college playoffs in every league and I think I only missed the NFL playoffs in one or two um and it, it's it's just because you're not competing against 12 teams you're competing against like eight to ten teams because you have a, a few teams in every league that are trying to do that tank no I think those are those are Excellent points. I uh, I tend to be the no trades in startups guy because I just find that I don't know. I never find that my rosters, if I move around the draft board, really turn out that much better than the ones where I just sit there and then let everybody else kind of uh, move around a little bit. But but maybe that's just me. I, let's shift because we we've, we've we've hinted at this. You know how much are we allocating of our rosters to to CFF guys and Debbie guys and stashes and zeros and all these things. So. Let, let's talk a little roster construction here. Um, Nelly, you, you, I think you were the one that hinted at this earlier in terms of having zeros on your bench and how many you prefer to have. So how are you kind of divvying up? I think three categories is kind of what you're looking at. You're looking at CFF guys that you can start now. You're looking about Debbie assets, and sometimes you can start them, sometimes you can't. It really uh, depends. And then you've got like pure stashes, and that can be a you know, a, a, a CFF guy that we love the system and the, there's a super senior in this, the starting spot or, or it can be a Debbie stash too, I guess. So how are you kind of allocating uh, your rosters? Uh, if, and you really have more control of it after a startup than at any other time. Yeah. So I kind of actually have a guideline that I follow for my teams. When I build them, I try to generally have two thirds of the team be power five guys, one third of the team being G five guys, because I ultimately see all the G5 guys being CFF producers and probably about half of those power five guys being CFF producers, if not a little bit more. Um, so then that kind of ends up where you're taking, for me, five zeros is the max I want to take, but I take shots on guys that might be zeros on the power five side that will end up being my drops in the waivers. Um, so that's kind of how I structure that in terms of those cohorts. I also... I kind of structure my roster uh, to spread it out positionally and I structure to spread it out by year as well. Um, yeah, we've talked some about of this. this. I think you're you're slightly neurotic for this, but uh, definitely <laughs> it part of it's to make it look good on a, on a spreadsheet because I do like group by tables um, and it's like if the numbers don't line up. But I generally and I don't follow it to a T, but I generally try to have, I think, eight quarterbacks 
uh, 16 running backs, 16 wide receivers, and five tight ends. And it depends on the league settings. But actually, I think it's more important to not have your entire team be like in the next graduating class because then you hit these supplementals where you have 15 picks and you have 30 roster spots to fill. Or likewise, if your entire team is freshmen and sophomores and no one is graduating at the end of this year, you have 15 supplemental picks and you have no slots to fill and you have to cut guys. Um, and sometimes if you've done a good job building your team, which you should strive to do, you, you're going to have like you shouldn't have guys that you can cut. Right. Like by the end of the year, after you turn through some waivers, that's difficult. So that's actually something I, I try and do. I know you can trade for picks or trade your picks away. I hate trading. It, it brings me a ton of anxiety and stress to have conversations with people who are trying to nickel and dime me for everything. So I try and avoid trading at all costs by, by setting up my team properly to start off with. How do you feel about that, uh, that distribution, uh, John overall? Yeah, I, well, I definitely agree with, you know, you should not have everybody in one class. Um, you know, I, I wonder if the past couple of years have been rough for some people, you know, that have gone all in on some of these like, fifth and sixth year players and stuff like that. And that like, like Nelly was saying, like all of a sudden you have 30 roster spots available and you, you have might, might've also just accidentally created a log jam where you had a bunch of dudes come back. You know, you thought Mo Ibrahim was gone two years ago and now he's right. sitting there beside whatever fourth year guy that that's now gone. So that college programs had the problem. C2C managers had a, had a hard time too. Okay, let's, <laughs> Yeah. Let's no one ever thinks about us. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, honestly, it, it might not even be your fault, but yeah, you know, I, I'm sure there's some people that, are, you know, have had that like 30, you know, 30, 25 roster spots that they got to fill and you only have 15 picks. Uh, I guess every league's a little different, but I will go back to uh, when Nelly was talking about, uh, you know, only having five zeros. I'm like, man, that's pretty good. But then he started talking about waivers. See, none of my leagues have waivers and I like it that way. I'm sure obviously, once again, everyone has their own way of they want to play and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure there's there's definitely arguments to be made of why you should have waivers and all that. I just really prefer having the supplemental picks be that much more valuable. And that's just the way that I prefer it. Um, and, and not as much, but I also don't want it to be like, oh, this guy paid a little more attention in week seven. And so he's getting the, you know, he's getting that guy in week eight because of waivers. And I mean, that's not as important. Like you should pay attention and you should be, you know, uh, you should be active in your league and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, being that I don't have the waiver leagues, like I'm perfectly fine with like 10 zeros. I kind of expect it. You know, like you're going to have and, and when I say zeros, it might be two points. It might be three points, whatever. But like close enough, um, you know, like I, I would kind of expect 10, especially once you start getting to IR spots and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I know last year towards the end of the season in one of my leagues, every single one of my quarterbacks got hurt. And I mean, every single one of my quarterbacks got hurt. There was a point where I literally started zero quarterbacks in the playoffs. Um, and so, you know, like there was just nothing I could do at that point because it's a league with no waivers. And I had, I think six QBs and they were all hurt. Um, and I, I'm talking, I was down to Brett Gabbert and he was hurt. <laughs> and so, you know, like I, I couldn't even play him and it was just like, well, what the hell am I going to do? And I actually had some pretty good play. I had Jaden Daniels, Jalen Daniels, all the Daniels, Daniels brothers, um, I had Daquan Finn, who I'm I'm a big I really like Daquan Finn. I don't think he gets enough uh, love in the streets, but uh, Daquan Finn, I had Cam Rising, like I had all these players, and they were all hurt. <laughs> and so you know you kind of expect, it, especially once those injuries pile up and all that kind of stuff. But 
uh, I don't want to have more zeros than that. Uh, so I'm, you know, whether I'm doing Debbie players, CFF players, whatever, like I want to be scoring points and have those players that I can fill those spots with because I've experienced the, you know, the injury apocalypse that, you know, that, that was last season. The waiver distinction is important. And I think, you know, the default, you know, is probably the four waivers that you can use at any time or something like that. That seems to be the the, the way that most leagues go. But I do think knowing you have to know ahead of time how many waiver ads you have because it should direct your strategy in a startup or a supplemental draft even i have some leagues that are open waivers all season long it, like as many as you want and in those i'm way more willing to take some risks because i know some in a startup or a supplemental because i know guys are going to pop up late in the season that i can uh, plug in you know maybe i i'm hopeful that this guy can can do something but if i got it, i can cut him or something like that so I do think that's a really, really important thing to think about. I think I think a little differently with you guys on the roster construction. With the way the transfer portal now works, I think I am going to be treating all of my college rosters essentially as single-year redrafts when it comes to competing. Now, obviously, sometimes you get these guys like Tory Horton, who's good for multiple years in, in a single, well, transferred, but you know, essentially a single location. Or you get a guy like, um, you know, Lou Nichols or Rasheen Ali. But I think the odds of getting Uber production or expecting Uber production from multiple guys over multiple years is so is diminishing to the point where I am fine taking more zeros and kind of threading that needle with the amount of guys I think I'll need. And if it doesn't hit, then I just trade them all away for supplemental picks next year. And then I just start the process over again. What do you guys think about that approach? I tend to agree uh, to an extent, right? Like I don't want 40 of my players sure. to be seniors, but when I'm drafting my CFF guys, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I, I, I pretty much ignore their year. I mean, it, it, it's like a tiebreaker, right? If I think two players have the same outlook for this year, if someone has two years left versus one, I'll take them. But you're right. I mean, if, if a guy is good, he's uh, like there's a good chance he transfers up and then becomes irrelevant because then he's an, an average power five player. Um, I just uh, again, I, I think you have to be careful with completely draining your roster for your next year. And if you're in one of the there's there's multiple leagues. You mentioned league settings. Some supplemental leagues let you draft to your roster's full, and in that case, absolutely do that, like 100. percent But uh, some of these leagues are uh, you you have 15 picks and. And if your roster is not full after that, uh, then you have empty spots in your roster. And uh, I mean, I was kind of mentioning that relates to to zeros, like an empty roster spot is a zero. So so that's something I'm scared of. It, it's actually funny. I drafted with this strategy, right? The the, the by class strategy. Um, and this is a I, this is a league with PJ, who I'm sure every single person listening is in a league with. And PJ drafted all old guys. And so he gets in the league chat this offseason. He's this offseason. He's like, I think we should move to an unlimited supplemental fill. And I'm like, PJ, we drafted for this strategy. You gotta know your. You gotta know your 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 rules. Uh, I'm absolutely not letting that go through. Uh, so I, I said my piece, and it did not go through. But um, know your rules because I think it is important. Man, with PJ, I would almost just vote for something, even if it spited me. If it also spited him, I tell you, <laughs> I tell you what. <laughs> John, how do you, I mean, uh, do you, in terms of treating these guys kind of as a single year thing, how, how, how do you feel about that? I I don't mind it 
as long as you're kind of like a disciplined player or disciplined uh, person that is able to adjust and, and move quickly, um, you know, in the, because you're talking about refilling with all the supplemental picks and all that, that kind of thing. And, and once again, this goes back to like the whole uh, freshman, even these five-star, four-star guys not hitting, you know, all that quickly or not hitting at all. You know, and, and this is an extreme example, and it's probably not even a good one because people love this player. But I think like if you were able, if you were to draft a Luther Burden from last year, and then now this year you're like, all right, well, he didn't really hit. I know he's not a year one zero and, and all that kind of stuff, but he didn't really hit either. You know, he wasn't spectacular and he got beat out by Dominic Lovett. Um, I think if you're able to be disciplined enough to then move on from that player, because he's still being drafted as like wide receiver three overall, uh, at least in some places, then I think then you can actually take advantage of that kind of stuff and you can go get another great player or the shot at another great player. And that doesn't mean that Luther Burden can't possibly be good or anything like that, but he already had a chance to be a stud and he wasn't a stud, um, you know, and, and, and once again, it's not that he can't do that. And that's just one example. But I think if you're if you're quick to move off of players and go get those next that next mystery box, then I think that I'm down with, you know, with your uh, your strategy there. If you're just stuck on players like, nope, I really liked Luther Burden. He's he's going to be a stud like that kind of thing. And the next thing you know, you know, he just doesn't ever do anything. Now you're like, well, I just screwed myself. I've ruined my team. And that's probably closer to what Nelly was talking about, where okay, well, now I have no one to do anything uh, to like to supplement my camp or Canton squad this year because I was so in on that freshman class that one year that now like I have no one that's going to the NFL because my team sucks. No, I think those are, are, are really, really good points. Um, I, I, I'm doing this strategy in a draft right now. And so that's that it, it's really been on my mind last year. I thought I was a board. It was after three three weeks. My team did pretty well, but I, I had some rough matchups. I was like, I think I can sell some of these guys off. So I ended up with an extra first, two extra seconds, two extra fifths in this league. And I think the benefit of having so many more early picks because people still don't value supplemental picks completely correctly, and we'll talk about that here in a second, is that I can hit Devi, but I don't need to go super long into that draft now. I can spend the first four picks. I'm still in the middle of the second round hitting Devi. And now I can pivot and start hitting these premium CFF guys are sitting there. Guys like I got Squirrel White in this league. I got RJ Maryland in this league. I got Taylor Green in this league. We're still in the fifth round because you can make that pivot. So I do think it matters. I've been playing CDC for, I think, five years. It matters so much less now than it even did three, four years ago with the transfer portal. I mean, it's it's really changed a lot of these things, I think. I agree. I, I think that, you know, that's why I think Nelly and I are in agreement that, you know, it's, it's so easy to get these CFF players that, you know, and, and even sometimes to get those Debbie players, um, you know, and, and I was talking about like a Dorian singer earlier, like he's available in my leagues because we don't have waivers, but he's probably not available in yours. So like, obviously there's going to be a difference there. Uh, you know, I think I had mentioned uh, CJ Donaldson as being available in one of my leagues. And then uh, my co-host on the full tilt Debbie pod, uh, Andy at a star FF was saying like, what are you talking about? He's, he's been gone for, you know, for months now, like that kind of thing. Cause obviously he has waivers. So every league's different. And that goes back to what you guys were talking about with knowing your league settings. But uh, you know, like I think that's why I love not having the waivers because it's so exciting. I can go get a Dorian singer. I can get a Jordan Tyson. I can get, you know, the CJ Donaldson, like these players that uh, 
you know, they just didn't hit until it was too late. And now I can go get them in, in the supplemental draft. But not only that, but like I can make that decision. Do I want to go for the mystery box or do I want to go for this guy that's already done something? And, you know, obviously every case is going to be different and every league's going to be different. Every pick is going to be different. But I love having that strategy talk in my head and, you know, and, and even with my friends and you guys and all that, like, Hey man, you know, should I take this guy here or should I take, you know, that, that, that new freshman, you know, that, that, that. so it's just, I, I love the whole strategy part of it. And uh, I think that's once again, uh, not to, you know, go over it too much, but like, that's why I love not having waivers. I have one more question on roster construction. And then I do want to talk some supplemental drafts. Cause I think, especially this time of the year, we get just a, a ton of questions about them. Um, Nelly, you mentioned it was a five tight ends, eight quarterbacks. Is that Something generally, like that, yeah. you know, the ballpark? It's funny. I've yeah. never written it down, but I think that's usually about the amounts I, I want to have more or less. John, I mean, are you kind of in that ballpark? And Moxley will have like 10 tight ends. I'm just like, what the hell are you doing? Well, yeah, it's, I, it's Moxley. I, <laughs> I honestly, I think I want to say I had three tight ends in one of my leagues last year and it was JT Sanders. Um, Payne Durham and oh man, there was another one from I don't remember who, but there Chris Sims. Yeah, Chris Sims. I think he's a tight end. <laughs> if I remember correctly, but those were my three tight ends. And that's all, all I mean, I played JT Sanders for like the majority of the season, played Payne Durham every once in a while. And Chris Sims was actually decent as like a bi week fill in and like that kind of thing. Got me like eight points. So I'm like, good enough. I'm fine. Um Ty- Tight end's the tough one because you know I I find most years you don't really know what you have until the season hits. Right. There are some instances where you know if you're sitting there this year and you have Brock Bowers, JT Sanders, and you know one other dude, you probably feel okay about not adding another one, no pressure to. But I do find yeah. a tight end. I mean, even you know, even more so in the NFL, you just don't really know what you have going in season to season. Like you, th- people thought they had Michael Trigg last year and they were set at tight end. And yep. surprise, surprise, maybe not so much. I, <laughs> tight end, tight end's really a tough one. Yeah, eight QBs is probably about right though, because like I said, I had that uh, I had that QB apocalypse, and and that was terrible, and I'll, I never want to experience that again. And I probably maybe I was only maybe I only had like six or seven, um, and so maybe if I'd had one or two more like CFF options, I could have at least thrown them in. Uh, I thought I was doing you know fairly well with Daquan Finn and Brett Gabbard and all that kind of stuff, but uh, you know I, I needed a couple more options clearly. Oh, I yeah. actually, I, I did. I, I forgot. I also lost Tyler Buckner in that league, you know, at the beginning of the season. So that was another one. So it was like, much. I mean, hey, tell Alabama. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Like, I, it, it was a rough year for, for QBs. I, I did pretty well in that league. Uh, I just, my team completely fell apart at the end. I couldn't, I could not field a roster at all. Any final thoughts on quarterbacks, tight ends, Nelly, before we uh, touch on supplementals? Yeah. Um, I guess if we we consider like specifically eight quarterbacks, right? Let's say you follow that sort of construction and you take four freshmen, right? Because because you're kind of prescribing to that kind of uh, upside mindset. I'll take on zeros now. You then have, let's say, four guys who are starting week in and week out. And something that doesn't really get talked about enough is despite the depth of these rosters, probably around 50% of your guys are unstartable on a week-to-week basis because of either buys or bad matchups. And bad matchups are that much worse on the college side than they are on the NFL side. If you have a G5 guy and they're playing against a Power 5 defense, like you you can't play them, like period, point blank. And so that, that, that 
initially deep group of eight quarterbacks that you split into four because you wanted some some freshmen. Now is two guys because two of your guys have bad matchups this week. And that's without even talking about injuries, right? So like I think this the the idea of a 45 man roster is is so massive that you're like, uh, like I only need half these guys this year. And I think that is probably a, a misconception because so much of your roster is unusable at, at a certain time because of the nature of college football. I, I was talking point. earlier. I like to thread the needle a little more than I think you guys do on, you know, playable players on a week to week basis. My general cons- my, my general rule is that I like to have four extra quarterbacks on my bench just, you know, in total that I think would be passable. I like to have three to four running backs, three to four wide receivers and basically one tight end. And if that goes to shit, then, you know, so be it. But that kind of seems to be my my approach. So, you know, if I start three running backs, I have to start three running backs, and I probably carry eight, you know, maybe one's flex, a guy that I can throw in the flex. And then, is that still probably a little – that's probably a little less than you guys like to have, judging by that the, the zeros discussion <laughs> earlier. I mean, that, that's got to be tough with like the the dual bye weeks and all that kind of stuff now <laughs> you know like i i just i remember having a lot of trouble once the injuries started piling up and then the bye weeks started piling up and it was like man i who the hell am i starting and once again i did very well i i was the top team in the regular season like i said my team completely fell apart in the postseason but you know even during those some of those weeks it's like well I guess I'm not starting anyone there or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get three points this week from that position, like that kind of thing. <laughs> the nice part is I feel like there are so many other teams in your league that just don't value their CFF players correctly. That if I do feel like my team's a competitor and this week I've got three buys at wide receiver and another guy who's iffy with an ankle injury, I could probably go buy somebody off uh, somebody else if I really, really need to. Obviously not something that I strive for. Um, because usually it costs you a supplemental pick, and we're going to talk about that here in a second. I, 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 I truly think people, of all the valuation that goes on in C2C leagues, people totally mishandle valuation of supplemental picks. Do you guys generally agree with that? You're both nodding your heads. Go to John first. Yeah, I, I think that you know, it, there's so many misses that people just go, okay, well, you know, they're just not valuable, and you know, it, it's like, no, it, it sh- if anything, it should be more valuable than like sending your your normal NFL dynasty first. Like if, you know, if anything to send a campus supplemental first should be even more valuable because then you're getting the opportunity to have that college player for three to four years and then the NFL player for however many years, that kind of thing. So I definitely think that they're not uh, properly valued, but you know, even more so, I think that, you know, they, people turn to the CFF players like probably a little too early in supplemental drafts to where you're just like, man, like, you know, there, there's still some really good possible Debbie players. And we see, like, I was all in on Jaden Reed last year, all in. And I pushed him way up, way too high in my rankings. Uh, but then, you know, he started falling down, falling down. Like, he didn't quite have the season I was expecting. But then now I'm realizing that I, I guess I didn't push him up as high as I thought, you know, because it, it, the NFL loved him and, and it really wasn't all that bad. Now we'll see what kind of career he has. But, you know, some people, uh, Felix, uh, think that, you know, just getting drafted you know, is going to be enough. And, and you know, like there, there's nothing else that matters at that point. Uh, I tend to, to think that, like, I want to actually see the player score points and, and all that after that. But, uh, you know, that's just one example. Like, you know, players like that, you can still get in these supplemental drafts, you know, like, later and later and you know it's 
it's tough to make that decision. When do I strictly start going to the CFF only players and that kind of thing? But there's so many players like I, I was talking about my model in earlier, you know, I have so many players in this, in these models that like, I might not ever turn to the CFF route, you know, and maybe they turn into CFF players because they don't hit, but like technically I'm drafting them because they're going to be Debbie players, like that kind of thing. So uh, that's going to be kind of my mindset until I run out of Debbie players, Debbie possible players. Melly, what do you think? Uh, I'm definitely on the other side of the coin there. Um, I, I think it depends if we're talking like these first round picks versus like mid round picks. But I think people overvalue the mid round picks. Cause I think the player that you're getting in the fifth round is marginally better than the player you're getting in the 15th round. Yeah. I mean, even outside, like I, I would say the top three rounds is when you're getting the top Debbie assets. You can certainly get Debbie guys throughout the draft. Um, but at that point, it's it's the percentages are low. The top three rounds are when you're getting the five stars and and the leftover guys that that didn't get picked up off waivers last year. Or if you're in a league like John is where there is no waivers, it might be four or five rounds because you have all those guys that didn't get picked up off waivers. But um, I, I think there was a discussion actually in the Campus to Canton Discord recently about what what uh what pick value Joe Mixon is worth on mm-hmm. a on a college supplemental and. I think someone had thrown out there like a seventh round pick. And like, for me, like that is you're completely overvaluing what that seventh round pick could be um, in, in a situation like that. Like to get, to get a seventh round pick to become Joe Mixon is such a long shot. Like it, it it's, it, it's like, I, I don't know, like 5% to have a guy who goes on to become a second round NFL pick and then becomes productive in the NFL. I think, I think that's such a long shot. Once you hit this area in like the fifth round where you're drafting all CFF guys, those are only marginally better than the guys you're drafting in the 12th to the 15th round that are also probably CFF guys or Debbie long shots. Like I take shots on Rashad Dubinian, TJ Harden, guys later in drafts as well who – I think I would consider Debbie long shots um, who are not going to be zeros right away. Well, actually Rashad Dubinian breaks every single principle I've ever said, but um, yeah, I think the top picks are valuable uh, because those are your, your best Debbie shots that you get. Uh, And I actually love the strategy that you said, Austin, where earlier where you filled up on those picks earlier, so you could take care of all the Debbie spots that you wanted to fill so that you could start hitting on CFF a little bit earlier. Um, because I think people feel like they have to push later into the draft to pick up those Debbie players. And I think that's when there becomes a real problem. Yeah. More people, people would assume because I have, you know, uh, five picks to the first two rounds or, you know, I think nine through the first five or, or something like that, that that's just a lot of Debbie dart throws. And I think it's really the opposite. You just get more high quality ones at the very, very top. And then, you know, then now I can start hitting those top CFF guys. And guess what? If those top CFF, if my team doesn't quite hit like I want, I can probably move those top CFF guys for those same exact picks next year and then do it all over again. I call it the snowball approach. I, I think it's it's been working for me so far. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, but, yeah, I, mean, I think I, the distinction between early round and mid round is, is, a, is a good one. I think I mean, if you think of those first, I would even cut it off at two rounds, to be completely honest. I think this year it's about 20 picks that like I feel pretty good about projecting. And obviously a bunch of them are going to miss. Like, I'm not saying like, I think all of them are going to be amazing, but you, you feel 
happy when you take them. And then after that, you, I feel considerably less happy. But I think people are just so willing to trade a first or a second for the next year. And I think that's just like you think about the amount of guys that make it to the NFL now that were I mean, the percentages that are high end recruits. I mean, I know that the services aren't perfect, perfect, but there's so many of them. I mean, think about this year. Bijan was a high end guy. Gibbs was a high end guy. JSM was a high end guy. Um, even Anthony Richardson was like the seventh rated quarterback in his class. Bryce Young was QB one or two, depending on the service you looked at. I believe Stroud by the end of the cycle made it to three in the class. Um, <clears throat> Flowers, <clears throat> sorry, Flowers is really the only guy that went early this year. And, and I guess Addison too, um, that were, you know, lower rated guys coming out. I mean, so the, the, your true shot at getting those guys is that first and second round. So that that is the Cedric Baxter's of the world, the Justice Haynes, the um the the dante moores the the jonte cooks like these the these truly are the the most valuable guys and they're the cheapest they're ever going to be i don't understand just throwing those picks away um now granted if you're you know picking up something real nice in the nfl side then you go for it but it, it's i see people being way too you know just whatever with those picks it i, I agree it makes me that's happy. what honestly that that's why I uh, that's why I was saying it. And obviously every league's different. You know, it might just be your experience versus mine. But uh, I recently made a trade, and it, it was an orphan I took over. So of course I'm trying to get younger, and I'm trying to you know get rid of some of these players that that I don't necessarily care about or want. And uh, not to say that Calvin Ridley is a player that I don't want at all, but I think people are getting maybe a little too hyped about him and that that kind of thing. And so I traded Calvin Ridley uh, and 403 on uh, Campus Supplemental pick. Uh, for George Pickens in 208. And I absolutely loved that because now, obviously, like you said, you know what, the top 20 picks, I'm right there in that top 20, you know, uh, that, that I can go get one of those possible studs uh, on the campus side. And then, you know, like I'm not even a big George Pickens fan. I, I honestly don't like him, uh, but somebody will trade me something decent at some point, <laughs> you know, like he'll, he'll make one of those amazing catches, you know, that's contested and, and, you know, he, he only made because he dove four feet to the right. But, you know, even though he was completely covered, I he'll do that at some point and I'll be able to trade him for a first or something, you know, equivalent equivalent in value. But I love moving up from the 403 to the 208 there. And that's kind of why I was saying, not to say that that's a bad trade for either side or anything like that. I'm not trying to like, you know, dunk on the guy. But I feel like maybe the, the higher, not the like first round picks. I think everyone's always like, nope, you can't have my first round pick on the campus side. But once you start getting into two, three, four, five, I feel like those get undervalued. Would you rather have, uh, let's say, uh, uh, four picks in the first two rounds and then not pick again until the ninth or have every single round the the seven, you know, the 107, the 207, the 307? Which would you prefer uh, to have? Go ahead, Nelly. Definitely the the former, the, the, the bunch of premium picks at the top and then nothing yeah. for a while. Yeah, I'm fine with that. And I think I think people haven't quite caught up to that yet. So at the very least, you can you could probably trade a couple of those picks and you know get even more value and still get some of those later picks that you would have had anyway. Um, but you have that option rather than you know you don't have the option the other way. And, and obviously, you're not always going to have the opportunity to have that many picks you know early on. But you know even if you can get one or two extra, I think it does make a pretty big difference. Um, I know. It, I've only done one uh, supplemental so far, but I know that there was like a clear tier cutoff after uh, Jerry and Dickey went. 
everyone was like, I want to trade out. <laughs> like as soon as he went off the board, everyone's like, I want to trade out. I, I don't want this pick anymore. Like that kind of thing. And, and I want to say it was like 203, 204. Four, top 14 is what I find to kind of be the cutoff. There's like a group of seven or eight and then a group of, you know, six or seven. Yeah. 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 So it was, it was right around there. I, th- I want to say it was 203. And, you know, but it, it's like, if you can, if you can get anywhere into those kind of picks, then you're going to be you know, fantastic. But that doesn't mean that there's not still great picks after that. Cause there's still going to be. And then, you know, I, I've, I've mentioned Dorian Singer. I know that C2C guys aren't as, as high on him as, as clearly I am, but um, you know, like, especially in non waiver leagues, you can, you can get guys like that. Like I, I love getting him in like the third round of supplementals, like something like that um, there where he's still available. And I mean, there's a very good chance, at least in my opinion, that he's going to be a starter on, you know, USC this season and then go on to the NFL next season. And you're getting him as a third round supplemental pick. And, you know, like Austin was saying, like some people are just kind of like, Oh, it's a third round. Who cares? And I go, Here you can have it. Do you guys generally draft for need in supplemental drafts or is it kind of uh, independent of roster? Nelly, how, how do you do that? Uh, first, uh, half of the draft, I draft based on, uh, best player slash value available. And then I do tend to round out to kind of fill out that roster structure. I was talking about more by position rather than year. Um, just because by the time you hit the 15th round, right? Like I have, a I have a quarterback, a, a running back, a wide receiver and a tight end who I all have as my next best at those positions, they're all the same value because all these guys are, are, I mean, it's just a massive flat tier at that point in terms of value. So it's, for me, it's, it's hard to, unless there's a clear differentiator that one player is significantly better than the others, despite position, I'll take the positions that I need to fill out my roster. John, same with you. Yeah, honestly, I tend to agree. I mean, I, I would say that I generally treat it like a regular NFL dynasty rookie draft. Like you, you draft best player available and you worry about draft or team needs later on. You can always trade. You know, the season isn't starting tomorrow, like that kind of thing. But, you know, there's probably a point where in the, you know, 10th, 11th, 12th round of a supplemental, I might go, okay, well, I need a tight end. You know, so I, I got to go get that kind of guy or, or whatever. And I'm not going to force it, but you know, if somebody's there at the very least, I'll make a tiebreaker. You know, I'll, I'll break a tie with saying, okay, well I need this position. And so I'm going to go ahead and, and take that kind of guy. But I, that's the way I, I re- basically do any kind of rookie draft, supplemental draft, whatever is like, I'm fine with you know, breaking ties one way or the other, but it's only if the players are actually tied, you know, it, just to put it into a, uh, you know, NFL context, like I'm not going to take a Jonathan Mingo in the second round just because he went early, you know, like, or just because I need a wide receiver. I don't like Jonathan Mingo. <laughs> like I'm, I'm going to draft the best player available. And then, you know, I'm going to worry about, you know, getting that wide receiver that I need or whatever later on. How does your approach change based on waivers? And I feel I, I like that this is on here now, now that finding out that John, that you play in a lot of leagues that, that don't allow waivers. So let's start with that approach. How does that change? Or I, I get this can probably even apply to leagues that allow still like two, because th- those are still you know fairly fairly picked over or fairly not picked over at that point. Um, yeah. it's tough. I mean, generally speaking, if there's less waivers, then there's more of these like Devi fringe guys that have kind of appeared on 
free like this past year that wouldn't have been drafted. So that makes the pool a little bit deeper. You know, you have Dorian Singer and Keon Coleman and and Scroll White available when in in a league with waivers you don't have those. So that makes the top of it different structure wise. It, it doesn't change that much. Um, but those are actually the guys that I target on waivers. There's a little bit of a tangent, but those are the guy that guys that I target on waivers. I try and pick up guys who I think have Devi upside with my waivers. That's how I kind of counter because I, I bet you people are asking, well, if you're not drafting freshmen, how are you getting any sort of Devi pipeline to your to your roster? And for me, that's what I try and target through waivers. And actually, if everyone would stop drafting freshmen, it would help me a ton because then the freshmen available on waivers would be better. And I don't, I don't, I, I only like having freshmen once I know that they're good, but. Um, so I'm just trying to convince everyone to do it my way so that it helps me. Um, but, um, no, I mean, typical Nelly, man. Yeah, exactly. It's (laughs) self-serving for sure. Um, but no, I mean, other than changing your pool, adding a little bit of Debbie value to it, I think roster structure wise, my supplementals end up finishing the same regardless. John, how how do you feel about it? I honestly agree. I, I don't think that it would change anything because while, in my leagues, there are not not waivers and I'm probably still picking like Devi viable or at least close to Devi viable players there towards the end. I think in, in a, in a waiver uh, stricken league, I, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but uh, uh, you know, it, I would think that I would just turn to CFF players at that point. So like, I still want all my picks. Like I'm still valuing the picks about the same. Um, you know, I'm just going to turn more towards those CFF players or CFF only players to where I'm like, all right, well, at least I'm going to go get the stud, you know, out of Western Kentucky that can go do this or that. Fair enough. Um, any final points of, that you think we didn't cover here tonight, guys, about just a, a tip or trick strategically that, that you employ that you that maybe have found success with or, or, or vice versa, maybe didn't work out so well, anything, uh, come to the top of your minds. I did not give you this question beforehand. So this is like the worst question to get on the spot. <laughs> no, it's fine. I, I mean, honestly, I think my advantage and in, in, once again, I'm, I'm newer to the game. I've only been doing it for a couple of years. Uh, you guys have a lot more experience with it than I do. Uh, but I think that my advantage that I'm getting right now over other people is just the amount of players that I'm able to look at via the models. Um, and so, you know, like I'm, I'm just, you can only watch so much film. You can only watch so many games. You can only even scout so many players, even if you're not even doing that necessarily, just looking at, you know, looking at opportunity and, and depth charts and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's just really tough. And it's so easy for me to, to go through and just, uh, you know, and just bring up a thousand players and say, no, these are the top 100, like that kind of thing. And so uh, that doesn't necessarily help the, the, the listeners all that much, but, you know, I think that at the, I guess the way to turn it into something is, is create a process, whether you create it yourself or you find somebody that you truly believe in, um, you know, and, and, you know, listen to that person or listen to yourself and just, you know, find players that you believe in and then go get them. Um, that'd be like my biggest thing because I can tell you in my supplemental drafts this year, and I, I really want to get into another startup uh, ASAP. Like I got the itch. So in that startup, like I'm, I'm going to be taking players that a lot of people have never even truly heard of, or, you know, if you're talking about like a C2C guy, like like somebody that's watching, looking at these players all day, every day, like maybe they don't have them ranked, you know, nearly as highly as I do. There's one player, There's we, we talked about QBs all uh, all night. There, there's one QB in particular that I actually just uh, moved up my ranks. 
and I went and looked at the uh, C2C rankings, and he's barely in the top 100. And I was like, man, I, <laughs> somebody's wrong here. I don't know if it's me or them, but somebody's definitely wrong. Here. Probably us. It's probably me. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> well, I think I, should, I looked at the – so the, the C2C ranks, he was 96th, and the CFF ranks, he was 75th. And I have him as a top 25 guy. So, like oh. I said, once again, somebody's going to be wrong. <laughs> Drop the name. I'll, I'll be the moderator. Uh, it's it's Sam Jackson uh, out of uh, out of Cal. And it's Chris I, Moxley's boy. Yeah. Is yeah, it? Those guys like them. Yeah. I just don't yeah. trust Cal at yeah, all. Cal's going to be terrible I, this year. <laughs> I, I'm, yeah. I mean, I, I get it. But I think he's an exciting player who at the very least is going to put up points on the college side. And I mean, you know, like I think that he's a four-star recruit, you know, like there's, there's reasons to believe. And that's what I'm talking about. Like, I don't hate young players, freshmen, you know, whoever, like, I just, I don't want to overspend on them, but when I can get them for free, <laughs> you better believe I'm going to add Free's them to my nice. team. Free's great. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that is the best. Yeah. Nally, any, any closing thoughts from you here uh, today before we let you guys go? Yeah, I think take a step back if you're playing in a C2C league and think about what your goal is, right? And if your goal is to, to make money, to, to be profitable, don't like, don't overvalue creating a Devi pipeline because I feel like that is, that is kind of the spirit of C2C as it is now is, is drafting guys to fill your NFL team. But a lot of leagues are split. 50 50 in terms of the payout on both sides of the league. Um, and even if you build this phenomenal Devi pipeline, it's going to take three, four, five years to see that come to fruition on the NFL side. And uh, you might be sacrificing multiple years on both sides of, of, of buy-ins to even get to this point where this pipeline comes to fruition. Right. And you have, now you have, it's five years later. Now you have this fantastic NFL squad because you've you've built a, a fantastic pipeline and that i mean that's like that's kind of the dream like that reminds me of like fifa career mode like it's kind of beautiful right you you've built this up and it, you've worked so hard for this but you've spent five years of of dues on both sides where you've kind of sacrificed to get there and so just take a step back and, and just evaluate your team and say like is is this worth it for that potential payoff that might not even come to fruition or is it more worth it to compete on both sides without you don't have to sacrifice a ton to do it. So I don't know. I think that's kind of a macro strategy viewpoint that, that I've kind of taken a step back and looked at my rosters that way. Um, and, and I've come to the kind of the realization that even if I hit on Drake may like he's not going to be a re as a, as a freshman, and that's like as good as it gets, right? If you drafted Drake May in like the 30th, 40th round of a startup, you are like laughing all the way to the bank. But he's not going to be an NFL starter for four, five years, or I guess it would be three years after you drafted him, but not an, a, a viable NFL starter on your NFL side for four or five years if he hits. Um, so like while you grow that value, the process along the way takes a while, even if it works out. I've long held that the people that play the seat, the campus side, just as a Debbie squad tend to leave orphans more often than not. And those orphans tend to not be very good. Yeah. Point points, points beget draft capital 
to a certain extent. You know, if you're hyper productive in college and it's at a power five level, chances are you're probably going to be in the NFL. And we've seen a couple. I mean, what did we see? Tank Dell and Rasheed Rice this year. No one thought of those guys as, as NFL prospects. We had Sky Moore last year, did the same thing. I mean, Tyje Spears was a third-round pick this year. Some of these CFF guys um, that we don't view as, as Debbie prospects, and I don't think we should view as Debbie prospects, they pay off more than they should or more than you would expect. Yeah. yeah, even like a Deuce Vaughn. I I made a trade last year. Like once again in that same league with the the injury apocalypse. I I made a trade. Uh, I traded Keenan Allen on the NFL side to get Deuce Vaughn on the camp uh, the campus side. And you know, like I was expecting Deuce Vaughn to come back this year uh, to college. And so I kind of thought that I was doing this for like two years of Deuce Vaughn on the college side. But lo and behold, he's a fifth round pick in the NFL. So. It's not even the end of the world, you know, even though it didn't work out exactly how I expected it. It's like, all right, well, he has an opportunity in the NFL. Like, that's all we're asking for. Um, and I'm not even saying it was the perfect trade or anything like that. I was I was a desperate man at the time. But, uh, you know, I just there's definitely times where, like you said, there's you can just be surprised, uh, you know, by uh, what what happens, you know, with everything. And and that was very close to Drake May slander. And I'm just going to have to ask you to please back off of that. I love Drake May, not Drake May slander. I was using an example of a player that I love to show that even I said if very it all works out. Very close. It looks okay, okay. comfort. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thank you for, for giving me an hour plus of your night here this evening. Again, Nelly at and Nelly Tick. See, I even still messed it up there. <laughs> Debbie Marketplace. John at Dynasty Coach A. Check out everything that he has going on. Guys, thanks for, for stopping by. I, I think I'm in leagues with at least, wait, am I in leagues with any of you guys? Not, Not with me. Matt. I'm in like 14 leagues. There it is. I just said oh. I wanted to start up a new one. Here we go. I have we, a got, we got three. No startup policy this off season. So, oh, no. uh, I mean, it's May. Right, so, we'll so see we have to wait lasts. until August. But, uh, but yeah, no, guys, thanks, thanks for coming on. Um, it, it was a pleasure to talk some strategy here with you guys. Maybe we'll have to uh, to make this a yearly. Uh, discussion and you know as as the the format moves a little bit but yeah thank you guys so much um and um yeah go check out all their stuff guys thank you